My name is Chet. I'm one of the pastors here. If you will, grab your Bible and go to Philippians uh, chapter 1. We're working our way through the book of Philippians. If you don't own a Bible, grab one of the blue ones in the seat in front of you in that little rack, and it's on page 570. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi while he was in prison. And so he's writing this letter to instruct the church. They have just sent a gift to help care for him because while in prison, he's in house arrest where he would have been chained in Rome to a guard. Um, But while you're under house arrest, you have to provide for your own means. You have to cover your own food and everything. So he's at the mercy of those outside to tend to him. And the church at Philippi sent a gift 800 miles to him so that he might have his needs met. And he's writing this letter back in thanks and appreciation and um, talking to them about what it is to follow Jesus and what they should look like as a church. How do you go about making decisions? There, There are some things in life you didn't get to pick. You didn't get to pick your parents. You didn't get to pick where you were born. You didn't get to pick uh, some of your genetics. I mean, there's no, you didn't get to pick any of your genetics. Sorry. Made it sound like you could pick some. You don't get to pick any of them. Uh, There's some things that you don't have any choice over. There are things that happened to you in life that you had, uh, you just have to deal with that you didn't get to choose. But then there are a lot of things in life that you pick. That you choose whether you're going to give energy to, you're going to give attention to, you're going to give effort towards, that you're going to do this or not do that, you're going to, to pursue this or not pursue that, and how do you go about making those decisions? Because we're going to see this morning in this passage that we're looking at, verses 9 through 11 in chapter 1, that Paul's talking about a prayer that he has for them, and one of the things that we're going to see is that how we love and how we think affects what we choose which affects the trajectory of our lives. So how we love and how we think affects what we choose, the choices that we make, the things that we bring in or or reject, and that affects the trajectory of our lives. And Paul is writing to Christians, which is very important for us as we understand this. This letter is written to Christians, those who have trusted in Jesus and who have had him uh, atone for their sins, who have accepted his sacrifice on their behalf. And he's talking about what it looks like as they follow Jesus and what his prayer for them as they follow Jesus. And so this doesn't apply in general to all people, but it applies specifically to this church that he's saying, as y'all are following Jesus, this is what I'm praying for you. So let's read the passage together. We'll pray briefly together and then we'll walk through it bit by bit. So we're looking at chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Fathers, we study this passage this morning. This is our prayer for our church family. That we, by your grace and by the work of your spirit, would abound more and more in love with all knowledge and discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. Help us to understand this 
and to get to walk in it by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so he says, and it is my prayer. That's the first thing we're looking at is this is a prayer, and he's bringing them in on this is a prayer. Now, I would ask, do you pray for people? And if you do, what do you pray for people? And this is a good one. So maybe start including this as a a thing that you would pray for yourself, that you would pray for others. Uh, There are several prayers found in Paul's letters. They're helpful for you to go, you know, I I want to pray for my church family. I want to pray for my community group. Uh, I even want to pray for myself as I follow the Lord. What should I pray for? And there are some that are in scriptures. This is a good one. Write it down. uh, Mark where it is and use this to help guide some of your prayers. But he says, this is what I'm praying for you. And he says that your love may abound more and more. We got to talk about that word your for a second. So in English... The word you can mean singular or plural. So you, you, this, is, this is unclear at times. Someone's looked at you and a group of people and said, all right, you can come. And you do that. Just me? All these people also? All of the? And if they turn around and walk off, you'll look at each other like, did they make eye contact? Was there a point? Did they mean... And, and so in all the places in the country, we basically, we've just fixed this. We have things like yous and you guys and youans and yous guys, all of which are dumb. And so we say y'all. <laughs> we've got the best one. And if you're angry, you say all y'all. <laughs> and then you tell them what all y'all can do, you know. <laughs> the... <laughs> This word your here, in Greek, they don't have this problem. They have plural you and and singular you. And this is the y'all version of you in Greek. So that's y'all's. It is my prayer that y'all's love may abound more and more. Or some of y'all say y'all's for some reason. Y'all's love would abound more and more. But that's who he's talking to. He's talking to the church. And so I want you to hear this not as just a singular you, which it does include you, but he's writing to y'all. He's writing to, I don't know if you've ever been on a team and somebody was given the pregame speech or whatever, and they said, I want you to fight. I want you to overcome. You understood they meant you, but they meant all y'all. And so that's what he's talking about. This is to the church. This is to us together, to them together, the church of Philippi. And they would have understood that when they read it. So it's that y'all's love may abound more and more. That's the first thing he says, is that your love may abound more and more. Now, he's not going to say love for what? He just means love. That that it would be not just love directed at this certain thing, but it would be that you would be loving people, that you would abound in love, that you would have a source of love that would grow and grow His prayer would be that y'all were loving people. I think sometimes the American version of praying that prays for abounding, we want to abound in what? Abundance. Stuff. Yeah. When we pray for abundance, we mean, you know, more. And people are like, more of what? It. All of it. The good stuff. And I think in life, as Americans, most of us have probably had more of a taste of abounding in abundance. We more often have overeaten, overindulged, partaken in things that were 
I mean, we, we live in a, historically, globally, y'all, we live like kings. I read sometimes about King Solomon, and it talks about the, the Queen of Sheba came in and visited him, and it said at no other time in, in Israel was there ever that amount of spices. And I'm like, I can, I mean, there's an international aisle at the food lion. I can go hit that up. I think if I could go back in time and just hand King Solomon a moon pie, he'd be like, you're a world-renowned chef. I'd be like, well, I mean, let me, you don't have even met Debbie. <laughs> she got all kinds of stuff. Like, the amount that we get to participate in all of this abundance, and that's what we so often are craving and wanting and praying for. But y'all, have you abounded in love? Have you ever had a season of life where you were surrounded by love, where you dwelt in love, where you were in a household of love, when you were in relationships filled with love, when you were in a church filled with love, and that that is way better than this? So let's quit praying for this and start praying that we might abound in love, that that might be what this is like. And I just want to say, church family, I think that we've tasted this as a church family. I don't think we're an unloving group. But the hope is that we would grow and grow and grow. And that five years from now, you'd be more loving than you are today. That the trajectory of the Christian life is that we would grow in sweetness and kindness and patience and graciousness towards one another. So let's read about love for just a second so that we might understand exactly what is he talking about. What does he mean when he says love? Well, Paul defines love, gives us a lot of tangible handles on it in 1 Corinthians 13. I know it's hard for us to read this passage without first hearing canon and D. But this isn't just about romantic love. While it applies to that, it's much more broad. It's written to the church. And so this is what he says. Love is patient and kind. Isn't that one of the beautiful things about people who are loving is they have space for you? You ever notice that? You need something, you need help, you show up at their doorstep and they have space. It's one of the things that love does is it creates room for people. It's patient and kind. Love does not envy or boasts. You ever seen somebody get something good and the first thing you think about is yourself? Oh, I wish I had that. Rather than being able to just rejoice with them that they have a thing, that they got a thing, it's not envious. It's, it delights with everything that other people get. It joins in and then it doesn't boast. And on the other side, when they have something good for yourself, you're not bragging about it. You just appreciate it, but you open-handedly hold it. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable and resentful. I, I love that because irritable and resentful are like the front end and the back end of anger. Irritable is easily angered. Resentful is angered for a long time, holding on to it. So when it comes to your relationships with your church family, are you trying to abound in love? Or do you show up to hang out with your community group irritable, ready for these people to get on your nerves again? You ever show up on Sunday, just walk around and be like, watch, watch how they're going to act. Ain't nobody going to talk to me. You're not talking to anybody. And you're making a face like you don't want people to talk to you because you're judging all of them. But you're waiting to prove it. You've shown up irritable. You're ready for them to offend you. Or do you ever, the other side of that, where it's you hold on to something, you rehearse in your mind things that have happened to you a long time ago. Oh, what if we abounded in love? 
What if we weren't irritable or resentful? Wouldn't that be nice? And I'm talking about you, not the person you're thinking about. I wish they weren't irritable. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you growing in this. Sounded like resentment, honestly, when you said it. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Specifically, verse 8, that's the beginning of it. It goes on to say that there are other things that basically don't carry into eternity, but love does. But y'all, if you have a church family that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, then we can get through all things. So he's saying to the Philippian church, I pray that y'all be a people who abound in love. Love is the foundation. But it's also the furniture, the walls, the roof. It's everything. Love is what we're supposed to dwell in and abound in. That we would grow in that. That we'd be blessed in that. That we'd be the type of people who overflow in love. So he says, my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So he's told us basically the quantity of love, that there would be, it would be abounded and there would be more and more, but he's going to give a qualifier. He's going to give quality of that type of, the type of love that we're about to have. He says, with knowledge and all discernment. So what kind of love we would have would be an informed love, that's knowledge. Discernment means judging rightly. So an informed and choosy love, a picky love, a love that rightly chooses what's good and not good. That this is the type of love that the church is meant to be marked with. Abundant love that's patient and kind, endures, bears, isn't resentful, isn't angry, but that doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. A love that's filled with knowledge and discernment. The, The difference between knowledge and discernment, first of all, one of the things he's saying to them is that they would know their Bibles, They'd know the the teaching of the New Testament. They'd know the teaching, the letters that he's writing. They'd know the teaching of the apostles. And for us, that means that we would know our Bibles. That's the knowledge we're meant to have. Not just general knowledge, but that we would have specific biblical knowledge, that we would know what is true and good and right from the Scriptures, that we would be Bible people, so that we would grow in knowledge, but then we would use that knowledge practically for helpful decision-making, that we would judge what is right and wrong and good and bad. The the distinction between uh, knowledge and discernment is shown to us in, like, a ton of our television shows. So Sherlock Holmes, he has knowledge, but the whole point of the show is that, like, put knowledge together, and then he's the one who's able to decipher how that knowledge applies in a helpful way. And the really good ones are when you already had all the pieces of evidence, and then they explained at the end, you're like, oh, but that's a ton of our shows. That's Sherlock Holmes. That's House. House is just Sherlock Holmes, but he's a doctor. Monk is just Sherlock Holmes, but he has OCD. Psych is just Sherlock Holmes, but he thinks everything's a joke. And Bones, she's Sherlock Holmes, but a lady and a doctor with OCD who thinks nothing is a joke. So I, these, are, <laughs> these are our TV shows where they, they build up knowledge, but then discernment is the ability to use it in a helpful way to make a right choice, and that's the type of love we're supposed to have as a church. And just so you know, 
as soon as knowledge and discernment are av- added, we, we leave our culture behind. Because America, U.S. culture, we could stand at an inauguration and say, we pray that your love would abound more and more. And then just close the Bible. And everybody in our culture would go, yes, it's exactly what we want. But as soon as you say a choosy discerning love that knows right from wrong, it's like, ooh, no. Because what we celebrate culturally is approval love. I'm just on your team. That real love, culturally, this is what we celebrate, is for me to say, I just want you to be happy. And I'm not evaluating what makes you happy. I'm just saying, I want you to be happy. I'm just on your team. Whatever you say is good for you, is good for you. Whatever you want, that's, I'm, I'm on your team. I'm not ever going to tell you that you're wrong about anything. I'm just going to tell you I'm on your team. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie Wreck-It Ralph. And then the second movie came out. And the little girl in the movie was like, I'm going to leave my video game and go live on the internet. And Ralph says, that's a bad idea. And I thought, what a hero. Because if a little girl tells you she's going to go live on the internet, you should say, no. (laughs) That's a bad idea. The internet is is not, don't do that. But the, the movie was that he's the bad guy. He turns into a big monster at the end because he didn't just celebrate what she wanted. And he has to learn to just let her have what she wants. And that's the, that's the story. That's at least how I took the story. And you, know, you might have taken it differently, but I'm still mad about it. <laughs> because culturally, the hero is the person who says, I just want you to be happy. And anybody who would step in and say, I don't think that's good for you is actually not right. But we also overreact to this as Christians. And we have knowledge and discernment without love. Which is just, we know what's right and they're wrong. Well, they're wrong. They're idiots. They're, they're wrong about this. There's tons of YouTube channels, videos that you can watch where someone just, I would say, sometimes very rightfully walking through the Bible and saying, this is right, this isn't right, this is wrong. But they do it gleefully, like they're happy and angry that, that all of this, it's weird. It's this weird mix of angry and happy of like, I'm mad at them, but I'm also so happy that it tastes so good to be right. And for us to, to operate the way we're supposed to, we're supposed to be abounding in love and a love that has knowledge and discernment so that we know our Bibles and we choose well. And it's quite possible that you lean in one of those directions. That it's easier for you to just be gracious and kind and welcoming and patient. Really hard for you to look at someone and say, I think if you choose that, it'll be bad for you. But discernment is wonderful because there are things that are bad for you And if you have no radar for that, if you have no ability to to know what is good and right and wrong and choose well, it harms you. I have have a son who uh, was born with food allergies. We were walking, we were carrying him around. I always feel bad about this. We were were with him somewhere. He was a little baby and somebody looked at us and said, what's going on with his skin? And we were like, I don't know, he's itchy. And they were like, he looks like he's allergic to milk. We were like, you think? And they were like, yeah. Guess what? He was allergic to milk. We were harming him. He was also allergic to oats, which we started adding to his milk, I guess, to try to absolutely destroy this child. <laughs> well, we also found out he was allergic to eggs and milk. He's eggs, milk, and um, wheat, which means you can't have anything that tastes good. 
There's no, no cake, no candy, no cookie, no, I mean, like, it just it cut out all kinds of stuff. There were many a night where he ate green beans while the rest of his family ate pizza. Because we're not going to not eat pizza because you can't. <laughs> it's tough, man. It's going to be your whole life. Just, I don't know, eat your beans, let's go. But he's had to learn to have a discernment for what he takes in. He's got to be able to approve. He's got to be able to choose whether or not it's good or bad for him. He's got to be able to do that all the time, even as a four, five, six-year-old. And he's thankfully outgrown some things, but here's what's happened to him. He's begun to do what this, what Paul says is supposed to happen here, because Paul's about to tell us what matters. Why this matters. Why it matters that we would abound in love with all knowledge and discernment, with knowledge and all discernment. Verse 10, so that, when you're reading your Bible, those phrases are very important. So, so that, if, then, any of those kind of things help you understand how the flow of thought works. So that, so the reason that we're abounding in love with all, uh, with discernment, with knowledge and all discernment is so that you may approve what is excellent. It's so that we'd pick the good stuff in life. We choose what was right. We choose what would bring life and joy and delight. What's funny now is that when, we're, when him and his brother are having to eat like regular healthy meals, his brother will be like, I don't like this. And he's younger, so he'll always be like, yeah, me neither. And then he'll start eating and go, it's actually okay. Because he's so used to eating just butter beans and green beans and white rice that you can just feed him healthy stuff and he just tears it up. I know some of you are like, white rice isn't healthy. Well, you should see how we, the other meals we eat. White rice is great. It's basically a vegetable. But he takes in what is good for him, and that's what he's saying, is that we would learn how to approve what is excellent, how to approve what is healthy, that we would learn what is right and wrong and good, and then we would choose it. Now, that's a prayer, that you would learn how to love what was excellent. Look, step one is knowing what is excellent. Step two is being able to discern well to choose what is excellent. And many of us are there a lot. I mean, as a pastor, sometimes we talk to people and they'll say, I know what the Bible says, I just don't want to do that. Yeah, I know what it says. I don't want that. We plead with them, and by God's grace, some of them, as the Spirit works in them, still choose what is good. And some of you, that's where you are. You're like, I know what's right, and so I'm choosing it. I don't like it yet. I like Jesus, I love Him. I wish this weren't true, but I'm going to choose it because it's what's excellent. It's what he tells me will be good for me. It's what he tells me will bring joy, even though it doesn't feel like that. But the hope and the prayer would be eventually, we wouldn't just approve what is excellent, but we would also love what is excellent. We would delight in what was good. And that we would delight in Christ as we delight in what is good. And that we would grow to have a, a discernment radar and choose what is good. Because how do you choose right now what you want? So often we, do, we base it off of what we think and what we feel, which is what he's talking about. That you'd have knowledge and discernment, that's the thinking part. And that we would abound in love, that's the feeling part. But the hope is that we would do all of that in Christ. It would be Christ-empowered love, Christ-empowered knowledge and discernment, so that we would choose what is excellent. But so often we're just, you know how many decisions you're making all the time? Big ones, little ones, 
Sometimes you make big intentional ones. Sometimes you make little ones over and over and over and over and over again that make a really big decision for you. So it's never a big decision. It's just a repeated little decision, but it makes a massively big decision for you. We do this all the time based off of what we think and what we feel and what he's saying is his prayer. Because that would be God-empowered, spirit-empowered, Bible-aligned, that Jesus would be at work in it, that they would abound in love, but it would be a knowledge and discerning love so they might choose what is excellent. So, this, why does that matter? He says, and so. So this is the next part. So he's saying that you would abound in love with knowledge and all discernment so that you might approve what is excellent and so. So if we're doing that, if we're abounding in love with knowledge and discernment and approving what is excellent, if the church is doing that, if Philippi is doing that, if we're doing that, here's what happens next. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Often, when the Bible refers to pure and blameless, in Paul's writing, he means eternally, theologically, accomplished by Jesus on your behalf. Here he means practically in life, because he's talking about the choices that they're making, that they would approve what is excellent. And so, as they continue to do that, their life would have a tenor of being pure and blameless. And there are other places where he uses blameless kind of in that way. And even this word blameless is translating a, a Greek word that it, usually the word brain, blameless in your text is, is not this Greek word. This Greek word kind of means un, undamaged. He's saying that we would abound in love with knowledge and all discernment so that we might approve what is blameless so that we could drive the course of life without running into the wall. Y'all, that's what we want. If you belong to Jesus, that's what you want. That sounds wonderful. That we might abound in love, that we might make good decisions, and that we'd be walking through life well for the day of Christ. And the day of Christ we looked at last week is the day that he judges the world. It's the day when everyone presents themselves to Christ and Christ displays the church in glory and Christ judges those who've rebelled against him. It's the day. And he's saying that we would make it to that day undamaged. Now, in verse 6, which we looked at last week, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we celebrated that Jesus, if he's at work in you on that day, he makes you whole and complete. And this is talking about now his work that's for the day of Christ, meaning that he's at work in our lives practically as we go, so that it's both. That at that day, he makes us whole and complete through his work, but also through his work, he's working in us now. I heard a comedian one time say, I'm sick of following my dreams. I just want to find out where they're going and meet up with them later. And sometimes I feel like that's the way we feel about us growing as a Christian, Really tired of the process, super looking forward to the awesome version of me later. And I'm just going to wait till he shows up. But that's not how it works. <laughs> it's a daily thing where he works in us to grow us in patience and kindness. You actually have to grow to be less irritable as love is at work in you to abound. Being irritable sometimes is kind of fun. Way more fun than feeling irritable and controlling that. 
Resentfulness sometimes is like a security blanket. I'm secretly mad at them. Take that. I don't know why we think that feels good, but it does. There's something to it. And it's like, no, we're actually supposed to be repenting of these things. We're supposed to be growing in love. And this is going to happen over time. As we walk in church family and as we carry this out, and it's going to be something he does in us over time as he develops us and works in us. And if you're paying attention, this prayer is for their entire life. Here's my, he says, here's my prayer for you. You'd abound in love more and more with all knowledge and discernment so that you might approve what is blameless. He's now talking about the decisions they're making and what they're choosing and what they're putting in their life and what they're doing so that on the day you meet Jesus, that's their whole life, on the day you stand before him and he judges the world, this is a lifelong process and a lifelong prayer and a lifelong hope and a lifelong work that he does in us. I want you to see what happens next. Because this is a lifelong work that he does in us. It says this in verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're not familiar with the scriptures, that logic feels broken. Feels like his argument just broke down and what he just said doesn't make any sense. Because the way that sentence should work, if we're following this logic, as we've been following this progression, is it should say, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through what? Good decision making. That discernment we just talked about. Choosing what is, what is excellent. Like it should say something like that. It would have to do with how you picked the things that were in your life. And then it would say, to the praise and glory of you. Or your discernment or your good decision making. You'd get to the end and you wouldn't have wrecked your life. And people would say, how'd you not wreck your life? And you'd say, because I'm smart. I have this thing called discernment. Ever heard of it? Maybe you've seen the show House. He had it. Whatever. You, it would be you at the end that people would celebrate and clap for and be excited for. It would be the glory and praise of you. That would be the logic of this statement. But if you're a Christian, you see this and you immediately go, yes, exactly. That's exactly how this works. We're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus because he's the one who's at work in us to do this. There's nothing good in myself, but it's Christ at work in me to accomplish these things, that Jesus is the one who's accomplished this and then ultimately will stand with any amount of righteousness we have, both uh, theologically, eternally, and also practically in life. And we'll say, all glory be to God who's this good, who's at work in me in this way. Praise Jesus that he did this and praise God that his glory is manifested through fruitfulness in life. And y'all, that's the hope. That's, that's wonderful. That's what we want. That's why Paul said, I'm praying this for you. He's actually, he's praying that Jesus is gonna do what Jesus does. And y'all, we should pray that. When you're facing sin and temptation, you should say, hey, I pray that you'll break me over this. <laughs> you'll lead me to repentance. You'll do what you do. That you'll grow this in me, that you'll help me walk away from this, that you'll put in me your spirit so that I might walk with you, that you'll do what you do to help walk in me, to keep me from running this off the road. And yesterday, I got to, my day was filled up. We went to um, 
uh, a, a funeral visitation, and we went to my uh, granddad's 95th birthday party. And can't help but consider the impact in those situations, the impact that our lives have on other lives, the practical, real impact of living a life and making decisions, choosing to be this way or that way, to pour your energy into this or that, and how that affects people. And this is the hope. That at the end of all of it, Jesus says a, a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. And when, when we become Christians, he changes us from, from the roots up, from the inside out, so that Christians should bear good fruit. But as we do it, the hope is that it's this. We're filled with fruitfulness that was brought through Jesus to the glory of God. That's the hope. Is that at your 95th birthday party, or your funeral service, he'd be packed out with people who'd say, they did this. They loved me in this situation when they didn't have to. You don't know how secretly generous they were. You don't know the time that they, they talked me off a ledge, that they got me to make a wise decision. They kept our marriage together, that they fought for this. That people would come and gather and they'd say, oh, and then they'd all go, praise Jesus for a life like that. Oh, May God be glorified with a life like that. And that one day the whole church will be gathered in front of the Lord and he unveils us in righteousness that's not our own, filled with righteousness that's not our own. And it's this display of all that has happened in our lives and all the things that we fought for, worked for, and labored over, repented of, and worked in. And all this will be to praise the glory of God as he's worked in sinners like us to bring about being filled with the fruit of righteousness. There's not, a, there's not a bare tree in the place, but we're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's our hope. That's the prayer, that we would be people who would abound in love more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we might approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for the work of your spirit that we would abound in love. You'd help us to repent of all the places that we're impatient, unkind, irritable, resentful, all the places where we've rejoiced with wrongdoing or failed to rejoice with the truth. We pray, Lord, that you would be at work in us that we might be a loving people, that our church might be a loving place. And Lord, we pray that we would be filled with love that is anchored in your word, so that we might fight for what is true and good and right in a gracious and kind and patient way. That we would tell each other, you're wrong here, but we would do it because we love each other so deeply. That we cannot watch someone walk off into sin and pain and hurt and choose something that is not excellent because we so love them. 
We ask, Lord, that you would help us to approve what is excellent. Forgive us for all the times that we have approved of something that isn't. Lord, keep us pure and blameless to the work of your Spirit in us. Fill us with the fruit of righteousness, and may your name be praised. May this be a place, and our community groups be places where when someone comes around who doesn't know you, that they hang out for a while, and they don't come to the conclusion, what nice people, but they come to the conclusion, how good is Jesus? That people would see our lives and walk in our lives that we would love and serve and care, and that eventually someone would just go, oh, praise God that he's at work. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing. And I would encourage you to take a moment to consider how you make decisions, whether or not you need to grow in love, whether or not you need to grow in discernment, whether or not it's like, I need to start reading my Bible because I, I feel loving and I feel like I'm gracious and patient, but I just don't know what's right. I don't know how to choose. Some of you, you know what's right. But you need to grow in your patience and your kindness towards others. But we need to ask the Lord for a moment. Just take a moment and say, Lord, help us here. Some of you know people you've been irritable or resentful towards. You need to go talk to them. You need to work some of these things out as we grow to be a place where we bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things together to the glory of God. And then we'll sing.